And so very often people start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin, the one that everyone knows. We think that it's worth going a bit beyond Bitcoin because there's a lot of value behind that. But there's one key word we used to have, this is do your own research. So diversifying your portfolio is fine, but please don't just buy one uh, fancy crypto just because one of your friends told you that this was the best to have. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to IBKR Traders Insight Radio podcast. I'm Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst at Interactive Brokers, here with Andrew Wilkinson, IBKR's Director of Trading Education. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And today on this program, we'll be speaking with two distinguished guests from Switzerland-based Seba Bank, Yves Langchamp, Head of Research, and Felix Schleimer, Associate Director. And we'll be talking about cryptocurrencies, their growing allure as an asset class, and the benefits and risks of adding them to your portfolio for diversification purposes. Even Felix, welcome. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you very much. Very, very happy to have you here. You know, it wasn't very long ago that cryptocurrencies had a rather bad reputation. I mean, some years ago when a company mentioned it was accepting Bitcoin as payment, for example, it would typically trigger some skepticism. Maybe the company was using it for nefarious purposes, most likely a money laundering scheme. Today, there appears to be a very different perspective. Uh, according to your webinar with us, I now understand that across the US, Europe, and Asia, sentiment about digital currencies and the financial markets in general have become mostly positive or, or neutral. Uh, digital wallets have soared to more than 30 million. There are now nearly 16,000 different cryptos with a combined market cap of, of roughly $2.4 trillion. Major retailers like Whole Foods and Home Depot accept Bitcoin now via digital scanners. And, and theater giant AMC Entertainment recently said it would accept Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash by the end of last year. Uh, these seem to be added commercial benefits to what has drawn many market participants toward digital assets, notably the blockchain and the decentralized nature of those currencies, as well as perhaps you know, waning trust in sovereign fiat currencies. I know you, uh, even Felix, uh, talked about this, among other topics, in your, your really great webinar uh, for IBKR, which, Andrew, I, I believe you hosted uh, early in uh, January. Yes, that's right. Eve and Felix, you both gave a terrific webinar for our listeners. This was called Digital Assets, What You Should Know for Your Portfolio Diversification. But before we dive into some of the more striking points of that presentation, could you first tell us why investors should consider diversifying into this asset class? Yes, sure. Thank you very much. You know, uh, I think when you want to have a diversified portfolio, what you would like is to take exposure to uh, different types of assets. And it seems quite clear that digital asset is a new asset class. And I think this is one of the key points why it makes sense to have a few uh, cryptocurrency or let's say more in general, a digital asset into the, the portfolio. Uh, it's a new digital asset. Why? It's a new digital asset because the main price determinants are completely different. We are not talking about coupon like bonds. We are not talking about uh, cash flow. We are mainly talking about network, about the security or the hash rate, about different uh, value drivers. And because they are 
difference, they add diversification into the portfolio. So I think this is definitely one of the, the key elements. And maybe the, the second one would be that a blockchain is a technology and to have this technology as a portfolio is also a way to take exposure to something that would probably be part of our future. And I think if I can just add a point there to Eve's um, good introduction to why it's a new emerging asset class, any investor who is looking at the technology space, which we've seen tremendous growth, I mean, even new areas such as electric vehicles, um, this is a new emerging technology that will be adapted by a number of existing companies. You know, Maersk, one of the largest shipping companies in the world, already used blockchain as part of their shipping containers. And I think what's really exciting about this space from an investor point of view is that for one of the first times, you actually get an opportunity to invest in a new technology whilst it is still very much at its infancy. You know, the uh, normally what what I like to call this is democratization of venture capitalism in a certain way. You can invest as little as one dollar if you want to, or you can invest more. But typically, this wouldn't be possible unless you were one of the big venture capitalist firms or private equity houses. But uh, Eve, I completely agree with your point. Blockchain and crypto, they go hand in hand. I also recall that you showed a chart of correlation over the past three years between Bitcoin and other traditional assets, such as stocks, gold and bonds. And what I found intriguing was that the relationships were remarkably low. Can you describe this and explain why you think this is happening? And also put some perspective on the size of the blockchain and crypto global asset market in general. Sure. I think this question is uh, is perfect after the, the one you mentioned before, because this is a new asset class and the value driver or the price determinants are different from any other traditional asset we're used to, you may expect to have low correlation. And as we mentioned, you know, uh, uh, correlation is no causation. I think here that we have different cause, and so we observe low correlation. So on average, if you look, as as you mentioned, this is the, the chart that we presented during the webinar. If you take kind of a five years average, correlation is very low. It's always hovering on zero, about about zero, something between zero, 0.1 for equities, bond it's slightly negative and gold as well. Obviously, this is on average over the last five years. If you look at recent market events, and you probably know that uh, Bitcoin uh, price dropped by about 50% in the, in the last uh, few months. So obviously, it's considered as a risk on asset. It's very much correlated with, uh, with uh, equity, in particular NASDAQ. So if you take global equities or in particular uh, S&P, I just checked before this, uh, this podcast, correlation is now 0.42. So it's not anymore close to, uh, to, to 0%. Bonds, it, it's negative 0.2. Goal, it's about uh, plus one, 0.1. So there is some kind of correlation. But again, I think that the, the narrative about low correlation remains. Uh, there has been already some cycle, and each time we have observed uh, corrections in prices, very often you have uh, uh, the correlation with other asset classes that increase. But on average, or we say on the long term, correlation seems to be quite low, and then it definitely adds uh, diversification uh, to the portfolio. So it adds diversification because you have no correlation, almost or very low correlation, and it definitely adds a new source of, of return.
you mentioned also the size of the crypto market. Uh, you mentioned something like $2.4 trillion. So after market corrections, it's slightly lower. But I think the, the fundamentally, the idea remained the same. It's roughly 1% of global equities and global bonds combined. So it's pretty small, but it's growing. Is growing really fast. The number of currency uh, uh, is is developing quite fast. Uh, the number of use cases is uh, is developing, and there's definitely more uh, use cases coming. So I think one of the the key elements is to realize that blockchain is not only Bitcoin. There's more than that. There's more use case, and uh, I'm sure we will come back about that uh, later in this podcast. Well, what, what are some of the questions that investors should ask about any of the 15,000 plus cryptocurrencies as they consider investing in any of them? And how should they approach researching cryptos? Absolutely. There are a lot of cryptocurrency, something like 50,000 plus, and uh, very often people start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the, you know, the one that everyone knows. We think that it's worth going a bit uh, beyond Bitcoin because there's a lot of value uh, behind that. But there's one key word we used to have. This is do your, do your own research. So diversifying your portfolio is fine, but please don't just buy one uh, fancy crypto just because one of your friends told you that it's what the best to have. I think there are a few elements you, you need to look at. And uh, we define seven elements. I will quickly grow, go uh, through them. The first one is to uh, look at the technology. There are many ways to organize a blockchain. So it's very important to understand how it works and what, what is the advantage. The second one is about the team. Uh, except for Bitcoin with Satoshi Nakamoto and no one knows who he was. Most of the time, they are well-structured company. They're a real startup with a roadmap. You know who they are. You can check whether they really exist, how uh, they are um, respected or how they behave in the community, what their track record and so on. So team is also quite key. The third one is use case. I quickly mentioned that there is more than just Bitcoin. You have plenty of of type of, of uh, cryptocurrency and it's key to understand why is this specific coin useful because it adds something new because it, it's part of the new ecosystem something which is uh, maybe not uh, specific to uh, to a cryptocurrency but it's in, in general this is regulation regulation is a key element the fifth one would be the community. You can observe, you know, the community using Twitter and uh, different social media. You will see what people think about that. And that can give you information about who will use it. Finally, absolutely key, governance. Governance is all about, uh, you know, how the cryptocurrency works. And uh, last but not least, it's a bit technical, but for those who love game theory, they will like this part. This is token economics that definitely explain why you have a cryptocurrency in this specific blockchain and how it accrues value. So again, if I just sum up, tech, team, use case, regulation, community, governance, and tokenomics are the seven key elements that we, we look at before investing. I think uh, maybe if I can add one point here, given that I speak to a number of investors on a, on a regular basis, you know, I think I completely agree with Eve's point that you should do your own research. And perhaps if I can put some color around this or make this a bit comparable, there's a reason why a lot of people invest in something like the S and S&P tracker. 
you know, no one has the time to sit and do individual research on a lot of different equities or bonds or uh, technologies within ETFs, for an example. So I think as an investor, you also have to ask yourself, are you going to hold the underlyings yourselves? Do you want to go through and really understand and look through all of these seven elements, which you've just uh, mentioned? Or are you then going to do your own research when it comes to which managers are you going to choose and select and outsource that to? Because at the end of the day, you need to diversify your exposure, not just your portfolio. There's no point having a diversification by having a little bit of Bitcoin in your uh, in your portfolio as a diversification tool. Diversify your blockchain exposure as well, or your crypto or digital assets, whichever word you want to use. I think that's a really key element to have at home. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Uh, you you mentioned use cases. Uh, what what I find really interesting is a stable coin called Tether. It seems to be a kind of derivative. It, it seems to tie its value to some underlying security or commodity to mitigate the risk of volatility in the cryptocurrency sphere, which Bitcoin, among others, appear to be prone to. Uh, what was really striking to me in your research was that crypto returns uh, come at the cost of higher volatility. Uh, I believe it was in your presentation, for example, that over a six-year period, the average volatility associated with the S&P 500 index was around 15%. Well, for Bitcoin, it was somewhere near 70%. And so that's, Absolutely, that's yes. huge. And, and we saw what happened, for example, in the rollout of, of El Salvador's uh, currency. I, I know they had some other operational difficulties, but you know, after they moved to acquire Bitcoin as its legal tender, the value of that crypto plunged around 20% on its first day. Uh, I find this all very, very fascinating. So can, can you tell us, please, why are there these outsized moves in cryptocurrencies, in volatility? <laughs> Thank you for pointing that. I think it's uh, it's probably part of the very nature of cryptos. I mean, except for stablecoin, which per definition are stable, and uh, then you can expect no volatility. All the others really show high volatility. And uh, this is a fact, this is a matter of fact. And even though the, the volatility of Bitcoin has slightly declined over time, it has remained pretty stable at something like 70, 75% annualized volatility, I mean, on, on good weather. So when everything is fine. So it's really, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really high volatility. Why is it the case? I think it's probably the, the few elements. The first one, it's, it's still a small market. And, yeah. uh, you know, just, just for you to imagine, if you two and a half trillion, and uh, if you compare it to the size of the of the Fed balance sheet of the Fed is about uh, almost nine trillion. So okay. you know, the Fed could be easily swallow the whole uh, crypto market a few times. Uh, so it's quite small, and you can imagine that uh, you don't have the liquidity needed um, to absorb all this this movement. Uh, second, uh, this is also uh, dominated by retail. You don't have a lot of uh, institutional investors, even though they are coming. They are not. They they probably don't behave the same way as an institutional investor would do. And you have also very often leverage. And you know that leverage uh, goes both ways, and this is a, a great source of volatility. Would you say that within the retail space that there are very few holders where crypto is concentrated? Are there whales in this sector or, 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 in, or in this asset class that uh, can, can alone, say one or two, create these volatile moves? Well, you have indeed what we call the whales having a yeah. huge position that may uh, influence uh, the price. 
this is something that we that we observe sometimes. That's right. But I'm not sure this is always the case. This is definitely part of the element. And when you invest in crypto, you have to understand who owns what and to see if there is someone having too much power kind of a too big position to the into the market so i think it's it's key it actually it's true for um, for all traditional assets but it's even more uh, important for for crypto assets but i think that uh, i think when you have leverage and uh, you go to some exchange that offer you for example 10x 20x or 50x leverage and uh, you want to give a try and you take a positions i mean and uh, a lot of uh, small fishes are doing the same. I think at the end of the day, you have a, you know, a huge impact on the market. And I think that the size of the market and the fact that you don't have any, let's say, buy of last resorts, uh, buying crypto when it's kind of what we call dirt cheap is probably one of the one of the elements. And I think it's also linked to the fact that what the fair value of, of Bitcoin, you know, should it be 20, 50, 100, 1 million? I don't know. No one knows, and I think this is also one of uh, one of the di- one of the difficulty. But I mean, to be very concrete or to to give a, a piece of advice to uh, people that are listening to this podcast, I, I mean, if you want to diversify your portfolio, ideally, what you would you like to have is a is an asset that is going up, so you have great uh, great source of return. You have no correlation, then you add diversification, and you would like to have no volatility. The problem is you cannot have all of them because volatility goes in both ways. I mean, you cannot have a cryptocurrency going up a lot without volatility. You know, you have the good side and the bad side of volatility. Mm-hmm. But given the very nature of cryptocurrency, which seems to be on average uncorrelated, offering great source of return with a high volatility, it's all about sizing. And uh, what our research show is that when you uh, invest single digit something between two six percent according to analysis you get the best you have a diversification a nice upside to both portfolio and even if the market uh, drops by 50 percent you you continue to sleep well yeah 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 it's 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 really it's really interesting and i wonder if the if bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general as an asset class uh, or an emerging asset class has matured uh, beyond the perception that I recall it having. Maybe a few years back, I know Bitcoin seems to be one of the more popular names. Bitcoin it comes up in conversation when talking about cryptos. And I've heard people say, uh, what do you think of Bitcoin? When really they're saying, what do you think about digital assets in general? Uh, so for perspective, you know, how much of the universe of these 16,000 some odd uh, uh, tokens out there, uh, does Bitcoin really represent? You know, and has this changed over the past four or five years? Uh, there are many questions. <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, there are many answers to your, uh, to your question. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's key to keep in mind that Bitcoin, let's say, was and is the first digital asset. It was the first digital asset because it started in 2009 and uh, because it was the first one and the only one. So the market cap of, of Bitcoin was 100% at the beginning. And even up to 2017, uh, virtually 100% of the market cap was uh, Bitcoin. And then the market share started to erode. And today, 
and it's not long ago think about 2017 and and today so uh for 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 uh crypto it's uh it, it's quite long but i mean it's still a few years so the the market share of uh, bitcoin has declined for about 100 percent to 40 percent today so you had a huge increase in the price of bitcoin but at the same time you had a lot of uh new use case so i think that the market has definitely involved no i find it very interesting you know about the use cases and if you different tokens or different coins have different use cases uh, how do they track Bitcoin or do they track Bitcoin? So if Bitcoin goes down, do, is that a, a representation or indication that all coins are going down? I mean, correlation within the crypto, uh, um, the cryptoverse or digital assets uh, is still very strong and very high. And um, even though they are different, they, they should not. Uh, they behave very, uh, very similarly, meaning that when Bitcoin corrects, then very often altcoin correct as well, and uh, the other way around. So there is a, there is still a, a very strong, a very strong correlation, but it's 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 not hundred percent. For example, I just check what happened with Bitcoin a corrected correlation with Ethereum was about uh, Ethereum is the second largest cryptocurrency with a completely different use case. Correlation is about 0.8. So it's high, it remains high, but it's not it's not hundred percent. But that's true. Actually, Bitcoin is the cryptocurrency that everyone look at it has a dominant role and it really keep or, or it give the the reason to the whole uh, crypto space so i think this is something also quite uh, quite interesting to to look at and maybe if i if i could just may add one point um you know there is more than bitcoin indeed because there are sixteen thousand uh, cryptocurrency but you know, not all of them are, are very much relevant. If you if you look just at the top 20, I think we can say that roughly speaking, the top 20 coin covers 80% of market capitalization. So it means you have a few lucky ones that uh, get a lot of uh, interest and where you have liquidity, you can honestly invest and the rest are very small. Maybe they will be the winner of tomorrow, but I think this is also a different way to build your portfolio if you want to have some kind of a liquid assets or if you prefer to enter more, as Felix mentioned at the beginning, a venture capital side when you, you try very early. And if it works, that's fantastic. But it's a different it's a different type of risk. I just you know wanted to make this this point that if the crypto sphere is highly correlated as it is, it sounds like perhaps the use case isn't being brought to the forefront for investors or traders of these currencies as much as maybe it could. It sounds like if they take that out of the equation, they're all going to correlate with each other as if they were all serving the same purpose. Um, but I think there's a really interesting point you mentioned there, Stephen. The, um, one of the things which a lot of investors are not particularly looking at is what can crypto assets do for them, so to speak. Let's actually look at this use case. And I think what's been so fascinating to see over the last 12 months is, for example, how NFTs exploded yeah. as, but NFTs almost became their own digital asset. But nonetheless, people don't maybe understand that NFTs are still built on blockchain technology. So if you have, if you hold the underlying blockchain technology, take Ethereum for an example, you still benefit from NFTs becoming a use case. So there are a number of different ways of looking at this, but I agree with you. Uh, a lot of people are still confused between Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and confuse the, the, the two words with each other. But also very few people are looking at the actual 
technology behind something such as NFTs. So we are kind of in a um, evolving um, space at the moment. I, there's an analogy which I think is very relevant, which p- puts things into perspective for people. And let's go back 22 years to the year of 2000. And I'm pitching Google to you. You know, I'm pitching a decentralized information platform, a browser. And people would have turned around and said, I don't need that. I have the encyclopedias at home. There's no use case for this. But if you think now, no one could have imagined what Google has evolved into over the space of 22 years in terms of it's an absolute staple, not just of our everyday life, but Googling as a term has eroded all other use cases. I often like to ask people the question, how many old search engines can you still name to this day? (laughs) And it's a limited answer. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the early 2000s, we had an explosion of websites. You had a lot of the dot-com bubble really bringing everything to forefront. And maybe there are some similarities between 16,000 cryptocurrencies or technologies being live today. We don't know which ones are going to survive in 22 years. But I think if you if you start really looking into it and understanding which ones have a use case that is worthwhile to, to implement, there's some real winners to be picked there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great analogy. And if I can just uh, jump in here, you have a, a lot of different uh, cryptocurrencies with different use cases. I, I would just name them just to, to show the variety, platform tokens, governance tokens, stablecoin, utility token. You can have derivatives, LP token or NFTs and so on. So anyway, the idea is not to go into details, but just think about uh, Windows system. So you use probably Windows or Linux or whatever every day. Uh, but actually, you don't. You have very little interaction with that. What you use is Word, is Excel, it's PowerPoint, is your browser, and so on. And uh, you have to to see that most of the platform uh, blockchain, like uh, Ethereum, is for example, is like the Windows f- ecosystem for values. And then you have a lot of different applications. And then the question I would ask you is, what is the value of Windows? Because Windows alone doesn't have a lot of value. So you are happy to use it because it offers you applications like Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, and so on. But then again, I say, what's the point of having Words and Excel if you don't have Windows? Where would you save your data? Where would you find it the day after? And I think you you can really imagine that you have some platform some platform um, at, at a very low level, low level, it's kind of a of layer on which you can build decentralized application on the top of that. And NFT could be one of them, or the DeFi for decentralized finance can be uh, uh, built on that. And this is why you have 16,000 uh, different cryptocurrencies. You have a few, you know, there are not many Windows system, but you have tons of application. And this is also something that we, we observe. So I think that j- just to, to put some perspective, yes, there are actually 16,000 plus cryptocurrency. But again, you know, you cannot compare words an Excel versus a Windows system because the purpose is completely different. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Eve, just coming back to the webinar you conducted with us a few weeks ago, you talked about the Sharpe ratio and its role in measuring portfolio risk and return. First of all, could, could you please explain to the audience what the Sharpe ratio measures? And then how has investing in crypto impacted portfolio returns and the Sharpe ratio? The Sharpe ratio is... a um, is a financial metrics that uh, modern portfolio theory say that this is the one we should look at. It essentially measure the 
unit of return you get per unit of risk. So if you have a sharp ratio of one, it's say that actually for one unit of uh, risk you invest, risk is measured by volatility, you got one unit of return. If you have a sharp ratio of two, meaning that for one unit of risk, you have two units of return, meaning that if you if you can move your portfolio from sharp ratio of one to a sharp ratio of two, your portfolio is twice better. And that's uh, that's really the, the idea. So it's a way to rank uh, different types of portfolio using metrics that you can use for any types of, uh, of investments. So in your opinion, what's the composition of a balanced global portfolio? The way we started our, our study was having 50% of global equity, 40% of global bond and 10% of commodities. And then we say, let's add 5% of crypto and then you need to reduce the exposure accordingly. And yeah, so that's uh, so you will have um, yeah, 95% in, um, in traditional um, asset, global equities, global bonds, commodities and 5% of crypto. This is actually what the what our, our, our analysis show as something being reasonable when you have the best from diversification, low correlation, and you can still sleep well because you need to take into account uh, the volatility, which may be even higher than the 70% the, the we, we mentioned before. Really, really terrific. Um, I'm going to switch on over to ESG, Environmental Social Governance Concerns. And I know that cryptocurrencies have come under fire, I believe on it was more it's more on the environmental side, I believe. But but what is the argument exactly from your point of view and, and, and where do you weigh in on that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really fascinating topic and it's clearly something that is throughout entire society, a high, very topical conversation that we're having at dinner tables, we're having in offices and we're having on podcasts. But it's very typical that we do exactly what we've done now and we focus a lot of energy on, on, on the E front. But we also have to remember that there is a social and a governance part here to be considered as well. And I think for all the negativity that Bitcoin has, especially I'm going to use Bitcoin specifically on the energy front because it consumes so much energy. A side point is that that's also what makes the system so secure. But we can talk about that in more detail. But on the social and the governance side, there is a lot of benefits to crypto assets on, on these two ESG letters, let's call them. On the social aspect, it means that everyone can have access to it. Everyone can at the moment invest, but also on the governance side that you can actually control how the transactions have taken place. You know, let's blockchain is very good for governance. If I sell my car to Eve, he will have a complete track record if it's on the blockchain with what the previous, not just the ownership, which is what we're interested in today, but also how much did you drive it, Felix? When did you last do a service? Have you changed the oil recently, et cetera? So there's, from the governance point of view, there are so many benefits here, which we're perhaps not giving it credit for just yet, because we're not quite there yet, coming back to the use case. But I think that those are two big letters which we should be talking about favorably for crypto assets. But also on the fact that when, when you're looking at energy, I think exactly to Eve's point, driving a car is perceived bad, but let's look at what type of energy is used to propel the car forward. If you use green energy, is that still as bad then? And where is the energy coming from? And I think we've seen a shift in digital assets in cryptocurrencies to move away from dirty coal mining towards more sustainable, more 
green resources. Ethereum, the second largest one, is, as you pointed out, moving from proof of work to proof of stake. So there's a conscious effort by the entire community to be better and better and better in this space as well. So one last question for you before we wrap up. I wonder, for those investors who are decidedly more skittish and other simpler products to invest in, such as ETFs, ETNs, or other ETPs, and if so, what are the advantages or disadvantages of doing so? I think that's a very good question to end this on, Andrew. Thank you. Um, Yes, there are a number of products out there. There's a number of different ways to invest into crypto assets. I'm going to break it down into kind of a, a crossroads to start with. And the first question that investors have to ask themselves is whether they want to own the cryptocurrencies themselves. Are they comfortable with the risk? Or do they need to have a so-called a digital wallet for it? But given if you are you are a skittish investor and you're starting to dabble in this in the first time, there are a number of investment products out there which are easy, quite straightforward. You can buy these ETFs, ETN, which stands for Exchange Traded Note, and ETP, which is an exchange traded product. They're all very similar to each other, and you can buy them if they're listed at most of your brokerages or even at interactive brokers. Um, but the advantages and disadvantages and what you need to be aware of is regulation. Where are these products coming from? Which jurisdiction? Who's behind them? What licenses do they have? And I think coming back to Eve's earlier point of do your own research, this is as applicable here as it is on the individual tokens. What are the fees they're charging you on the back of this? And how are they constructed? Because there's when it's an uh, when it's at its infancy, there's a lot of different ways of how products are structured, and what are the safety elements here? What happens if company who has listed or launched this product goes under or disappears? Do you still have access to the underlying, as in the coins themselves? Um, that simply means that whether you have bought a synthetic product or not. Um, I think one of the most incredibly important conversations to have with investors when they're starting to look at this is on the custody front. You might buy a um, a product, but where is it held and by whom? And what are their uh, regul regulatory requirements and who are they? But nonetheless, coming back to what we talked about, I think be aware of the volatility. Um, a good tactic that we often um, employ people to use is set yourself an allocation like Eva's talked about, whether that be between two or six percent, and then maybe take your profits to ensure that you remain at that level to kind of reinvest your profits. But keep a balanced portfolio. Um, there is high volatility. There are a number of different tokens out there, but you, there are some good products, some good managers out there who know their stuff in this space. It, do your due diligence, do your checks on who they are and where they're based. And um, then there's plenty of opportunity for all investors out there, be it retail or institutional. Mm. Uh, that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, Eve and Felix, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. I think it was a really interesting conversation. <clears throat> Brilliant. Our listeners can learn more about this topic in Sabre Bank's webinar presentation, Digital Assets, What You Should Know, for your portfolio diversification at ibkrwebinars.com. And you can also keep abreast of their market commentary at IBKR Traders Insight at tradersinsight.news. Until next time, this is Andrew Wilkinson here with Stephen Levine for Interactive Brokers.
Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Trading in digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, is especially risky and is only for individuals with a high risk tolerance and the financial ability to sustain losses. Eligibility to trade in digital asset products may vary based on jurisdiction. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.